Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest, Nathan Wright, is a Michigan native who works at Baker College in the Career Services Department. His background is in people operations and being a culture champion and community builder at his organizations. Nathan has a deep passion in the community in DEI. His past work includes leading the DEI strategy and initiatives, along with managing his company's employee resource groups. This passion has continued to fuel his desire for change at Baker, where he sits on the DEI Council, helping continue the important work of creating an inclusive and diverse environment to learn and work in. Nathan also is an avid volunteer, most notably at Affirmations Community Center in Ferndale, Michigan, where he serves as senior lead volunteer with particular emphasis on care management through combating food insecurity with a monthly food pantry for the Metro Detroit area food desserts. Nathan, thank you so much for being a guest. We have so much to cover today, but how's it going in your world? Pretty good. I'm not going to lie. My toes are freezing right now under my desk, but uh, (laughs) tis the season, I guess. Depending on when you're listening to this, we're the fun transition into fall in Michigan here, which is hot, cold all over the place. So before we dive into all the great work you do, let's throw it back. What did you want to be when you grew up or what was your childhood like if you feel comfortable telling us? Yeah, absolutely. So from even grade school, I wanted to be a teacher. Then I entered OU, uh, Oakland University, and I started the education program. I was about a year in and I was like, what am I doing here? I cannot spend another three years learning about theories about educating instead of being in the classroom. I loved being in the classroom. I loved the job. I loved all aspects of it, but I could not stomach another three years of just learning about theories and not being out there doing it. And so then I pivoted. And so that's how I landed in resource development. It's so funny because some people I feel would just like do it and just say like, you know what, I have to do this. I have to go through it. So have you always been this person that kind of kind of ever changing or just kind of I don't want to say rolls with the punches, but kind of strategically looks at everything? Have you always been that way? Yeah, I think so. And I think aspects of HR and what I'm doing now are also education and like teaching may not be like grade school or high school, but it's still helping society in that way. So just being open with everybody and um, trying to be the best steward of the community I can be. I love that. Now, you said you always wanted to be a teacher, which I feel like you're one of the few that actually you end up in higher education, which is great. But through kind of even like high school, going into college, was that always your path or what was that kind of time like in your life for you? So I was in future educators when I was in high school, which is just like a student group that, yeah, so uh, gave me that exposure early on before I even got to college of being in the classroom and teaching, which was fantastic opportunity. But I think generally where my passions lied also came from student orgs in high school. So I was involved in Key Club, which is a branch of Kiwanis. So I was always within the servant leadership realm and that kind of dictated a lot of my life in high school. I was one of the student or kids. I was not an athlete, uh, still not an athlete for the record. So that's continued. But like leading those organizations, becoming president and um, just serving on the board gave me that sense of leadership, but also um, giving back to my community. So that's kind of I was also a suck up in high school. So I won the biggest apple polisher award for our mock elections. Amazing. Yeah. So it was good. So I would say I definitely related more to my teachers than my classmates. And I learned a lot from them, both in the classroom and 
through those relationships I formed. Now, something, and this is maybe my own self-discovery, but lately I've been thinking about, because I also, I did play sports, but I also was definitely an organization kid. Of I was also in Key Club, played sports, a um, few other ones I'm forgetting, Blue Arts, uh, Alumni Society, whatever it was. But I feel like a lot of those help transition into being this people person or being, I would say more of, because you and I, I mean, Nathan and I are newer friends, funny enough, and we like really clicked within the first few minutes. So I'm not shocked to hear that you were also a very involved kid. But do you feel a lot of those organizations of being a part of it help shape who you are today and kind of like, you know, not being afraid to talk to people or put yourself out there in different groups? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, 100 percent. And I think that's one of the important things that a high schooler could do is like get involved, get out there. Um, Kiwanis has been great for networking and meeting people. So starting me off in Key Club was really great and giving me those opportunities for leadership to get in front of people, whether it be my classmates or 70 year old Kiwanians, um, a group of them. Yes. <laughs> um I think that really set me up for success. And I was not great back then at public speaking, speaking in front of people, but it kind of set a foundation for me. And looking back, I think that was really valuable and continuing on through college and now my professional life, leading meetings and teams. I think that has always been an undertone, um, both the leadership and public speaking, but also getting out there and meeting people and forming those relationships has really been key. I love that you say it's the foundation because I also feel that I was not a public speaker. I was like, that's terrifying. I can't do that. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But that foundational piece and just kind of understanding you can be yourself and the right people you'll connect with and kind of vibe and grow with, which is great and such a great point to bring up. So transitioning now, you graduate college, from that, you get into, and I want you to tell more of your story because the food insecurity part is something I'm so passionate about and I love that you do. So talk us through post-graduation, what you got into and how you ended up at Baker. Yeah. So it's kind of a convoluted meandering pass how I got into this, but my first job out of college was HR. So I was people operations generalist, well, intern first and then generalist. But um, that kind of started me on the path of HR and people generally. And there was some restructuring at that company. And so I moved on from there, took a beat, um, kind of took the rest of the year with my severance and then kind of went back out there. And I kind of took a little bit of a jog to the left. I was a school bus driver for a little bit of time. Awesome. And then I'm like, okay, I'll do this for a little bit. It's fun. I've always wanted to try it. And so I did that for a little bit. And then the pandemic happened. And I'm like, okay, let's jog back to the right. But uh, before I got back to the people teams, I was a food delivery driver for a company called Imperfect Foods. And they specialized in eliminating food waste and combating food insecurity generally. And I always like to say that a way into a company is not always through the front door, but maybe a window or a side door. So I think that has served me well in the past. Um, so starting that as a seasonal delivery driver and then making connections within the company through employee resource groups, through chatting with my local people team, I was able to work myself onto the people team when there was an opening. And so that kind of continued my path. And then from there, got into the communication space and ERG leads and DEI space. And then that ignited another passion within me. And so at Imperfect, I was like ignited all the time. I was just on fire with all the passion between ERGs, DEI and food insecurity. And then fast forward a little bit to 
an acquisition. Another company bought Imperfect Foods. And as a result of that activity, my role was eliminated. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. And so took a little bit of time to find my next opportunity, which is not HR, but it's HR adjacent. So um, it's people oriented, it's employer resources, and kind of going out into the community and making those connections with people to bring them back to my students um, who need internships, who need full-time opportunities once they graduate. And so I like to say an undertone of all of my jobs has always been people and relationship building. So that's kind of what I lean into in all aspects of life. But I would say since working at Imperfect Foods, um, community building and food insecurity have been great passions of mine. And that's kind of what triggered me to start the food pantry at Affirmations. That's incredible. And I love the quote. And if I butcher it, please correct me. But a way into the company is not always the front door, but a window or side door. That is so genius because I feel in kind of transitioning to talk about careers, you have to do what you have to do. If the pandemic's taught us anything is like, get where you need to be. It is expensive to be an adult in this economy right now. But yes, and some people I feel and you can talk on this as well, but oh, well, I don't want to take a step back or oh, I'm better than that kind of role. I don't want to do that. And it's like, look at the doors that open for you and to help you transition into Baker even. And I was so pumped when we had talked about Imperfect Foods because I was a subscriber of it and got the um, yes. the Misfit produce every month, which I love. But it's something that you you're one of the rare ones like, you know, you loved it and unfortunately did get laid off. And, you know, pandemic happens. I get it. But mm-hmm. getting your foot in the door, it's so huge or like through the window. I love that kind of being that person. And like you said, kind of seeing where the right opportunities were. Again, there's a reoccurring theme with who you are as a person, Nathan, as we're catching on to. But transitioning into Baker, how has that been? And what was kind of your thought process when you found the new opportunity and especially during the pandemic and kind of talk us through the last like three, four years of what's been going on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, all of that is pretty recent. So I started at Baker this year at the end of June. And so I've been kind of getting my foothold and like my bearings in higher ed generally, because it's all new to me. But I'm a strong believer in not thinking that, oh, that's not my job or, oh, I don't do that. Somebody else does that. Nothing is above anyone, in my opinion. And I think if you think you are too good for something, then one, we're not going to get along. We're probably not going to be friends. But two, um, I think that you are not a team player and you are not adding to the organization in the ways that you could be um, if you kept a more open mind about what your role could be more broadly. I think I went off topic, though. What was the question? We were talking about how you transitioned into Baker or feeling that you were ready for this opportunity post-severance? So making the transition, um, it has been a transition into higher ed and also a kind of HR adjacent role, but still has those key elements of networking, people, relationship building, all of that. And so that side of things, the people and relationship building has been pretty easy for me um, because it's like second nature at this point. Uh, higher ed is a little different. Uh, I came from the startup world. And for those in that space, you know, it's breakneck pace at every turn and there are fires everywhere and everything is urgent. Um, so coming from that world into higher ed, where these institutions have been around for over a hundred years and they don't have to move at that pace. People will, um, 
wait and we'll just get it done. And it's a priority, but we want to be thoughtful about it, which is great. Thoughtfulness is great. But an adjustment that I've had to make is thinking about more big picture and realizing that we may not go out of business in a couple of years because we're fundraising or something and we don't have to move that fast. So that's been an adjustment for me, but I'm getting more comfortable and recognizing the resources that I have at my disposal being in the higher ed world. I love that. Now, within career services and what you do at Baker, because I wish I had you when I was in college and we, we have the resource centers and we have, you know, the business centers and get your resume done, even though it's been the same way for the last 30 years and the same advice. But <laughs> I want to talk through how you you're going in and making change and you're making things happen. And I'm so here for it. But talk to us on why this is important to you. And because you and I have talked offline about this, so I don't want to like steal your thunder on it. But when you started this role in identifying needs for your students and what that looks like, what is important to you? Is this DEI piece a part of it? Or just like, tell me what the last few months have been in store for you and what's in store for the future for your students too. Yeah, absolutely. So I first want to say what they're doing and have been doing at Baker for the career services is fantastic. And I am just an addition to that and complimenting it or trying to at least. And I think that Having an outsider's perspective or somebody that is not always in higher ed, I think is a great time to like take that fresh look at things and see what could be changed or what could be added based on my experience in the world as far as outside of higher ed and career opportunities and what employers are looking for. So I bring that piece to the table and then also identifying different processes and procedures that don't make sense, maybe. And thinking nothing sacred, let's revamp it. Let's record this webinar instead of doing six different sessions a semester and spending time doing that versus having the webinar available for people to watch whenever it's convenient for them. So that piece and then also the DEI space. Not everyone is the same. Not everyone's brain operates the same way. And so doing the same thing every time doesn't always make sense. So you need to meet people where they are in their journey, whether that's um, reviewing a resume, helping them start a resume, or just talk about different interview skills and kind of preparing students and people for what to expect in an interview and what kind of tactics people use and do those mock interviews for people so they're comfortable once they get into the world and start interviewing for their roles. So I think that is the most important is meeting people where they are, recognizing that not everyone comes to the table with the same experiences that you do or even your colleague does. So taking that into account, too, uh, in the advice you give. That's amazing. And the piece of DEI that I love that you bring up is learning. Not everyone learns the same way or there's so many yes. adults that are dyslexic and it's not the textbook definition of what dyslexia is that we were trained on or different learning styles and different generational pushes. So I feel a lot of people forget DEI just isn't from, you know, certain people from making sure everyone has a seat at the table, but including people that have learning disabilities or art school people. I mean, yes. we talked about this in one of our previous conversations too. And mm -hmm. this is why Baker is going to go so far is because even before you started, I knew of Baker. I mean, just the 
what's new, what's updated, what do we have to stay relevant, make sure our students are getting all of that, because even some of these big universities aren't doing that. Or it's just, oh, we're, we've done it always this way. We have a great alumni network. Well, what about the students that aren't as extroverted or don't feel comfortable reaching out for help and would love to look at a webinar? I mean, it brings me goosebumps to think about all the great things we'll do with Baker. But yes, I love that. So where do you feel Baker and what in kind of your market position of being in higher education is different from other traditional local national universities? Yeah, I think one of the biggest benefits of being a Baker student is our student first mentality. We know that one size doesn't fit all in all scenarios, um, whether it be in the classroom, whether it be online learning, online live learning. So that's the differentiator, I think. Um, So we offer online courses that can be done asynchronously. And then online live that you have a teacher that you can communicate with in real time, but it's online still. Um, So still respecting the fact that not everyone has transportation or anything like that. So recognizing that you need to make it work for the student to set them up for success, first and foremost. And that looks different in different scenarios. So maybe somebody needs assistance with their food. So we give them information about a food pantry or maybe they need transportation. So we talk to a local, um, whether it be Uber or like Mogo, which is a Metro Detroit uh, bike share program. So it looks like different things um, to different people in different scenarios. But I think first and foremost, being student first and that student first philosophy really sets us apart. Absolutely. Now, I also want to talk about your work with affirmations because I feel it is a great addition to what you do already and kind of the puzzle piece that works with your food pantry and baker and everything in between. So I'm learning about this organization too, which I'm so excited about, but tell us what Affirmations is. What's your role? Definitely. So Affirmations is Michigan's largest LGBTQ center in the state. And then I think we're top 10 in the country. Don't quote me on that one. I'm not super positive on that. So I probably shouldn't have said it, but that's fine. That's fine. So (laughs) Affirmations uh, is a community center, first and foremost. So people come there for support and discussion groups. They call in to get connected with resources and we are really that we're a hub for people. So whether it be doing an event or attending a group at Affirmations at the community center or it's getting you connected. So we're kind of like a switchboard for people to get connected with other orgs if we can't help them. So one example of that is during Pride, we do a gender affirming clothes closet. So we don't have clothes all year round because we don't have the storage for it. Right. And so we are able to connect with other community partners in the area to get people the clothes they need. Or if people want to donate clothes, we say, well, we can't take them right now, but I know this person who's taking them and running this clothing drive. So let me get you connected with them. So truly being a community center and being a connector of people, I think. That's huge. It's so huge. And I know, especially you're having a job fair coming up, which is great, but a lot of people I don't feel realize the different barriers to entry. I mean, I could speak to it on careers, but other resources. And it's not just based on like, oh, who you decide to love and that's, you know, you're different. There's so much more to it. There's so many barriers to Mm -hmm. employment or I've literally had hiring managers say to me, 
I don't want to deal with someone's um, government name versus who they go by. I don't want to deal with it. We're not submitting them. I mean, yeah. And this has happened within the last few years and it will continue to happen. And having affirmations in other organizations that provide education, provide resources and just what are your rights as a professional, as a living human being in this lovely country we have here. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) I wasn't going to talk about. What are some of the success stories or maybe someone that's listening that's maybe like, oh, maybe I want to get involved from a donator perspective or from an, a member perspective? Why is Affirmations different? Oh, we're different in the sense that we don't try to be everything for everyone. We recognize our limitations and operate within that. So one of our limitations, as many nonprofits experience, is budget. So Getting those donations and recognizing how important our consistent monthly donors are uh, is really key to the survival and success of any community center. And I won't just speak for affirmations. So recognizing the support within your community and identifying those allies or community members that will help you get to where you want to be uh, as a center. And I think that the food pantry is a great example of that. So recognizing that Ferndale may not be a food desert by the definition, but there are a lot of unhomed people in Royal Oak, Ferndale, Oakland County generally. And also recognizing that Ferndale shares a border with Detroit and there are definitely food desert spots in Detroit. And just recognizing the need and finding ways to combat that uh, food insecurity because one in nine people in Michigan are facing food insecurity in one way or another. One in nine? One in nine, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the latest statistic we have. So trying to find ways to combat that in some way. So food insecurity in food deserts can be defined as like not having affordable access, not having access, not having the transportation to get to the grocery store. Even if they have the money to pay for it, they may not have a way to get there. And so recognizing community centers and affirmations as hubs for people is the key part of this and key community partners too. So we partner with local organizations to get fresh produce in there. So Lighthouse, Gleaners, um, Imperfect Foods uh, has been a donor of Affirmations Food Pantry for a year now. So they continuously send uh, like 400 to 500 pounds of food and fresh produce to the center so we can hand that out to folks and help fill their bellies. So these people are coming in and we serve over 250 families, I think, is the stat for this first year we've been in business. So offering the fresh produce is really important to me uh, specifically because Most food pantries don't have the capability or the partners in the community to serve fresh produce. It's a lot of canned goods and boxed goods, and that's great. I mean, fresh produce can be expensive, and it's a storage issue too, like the proper refrigeration. You have to get it out the door within a couple of days. So I get it. There are obstacles there, but just identifying solutions for that, I think, is key. So we're making sure that we're serving the community properly. Wow. Now, if someone wants to get involved, obviously, through monetary means, that's easy. But what are you in need of? Are you in need of additional donors for items? Are you in need of volunteers? How can people listening that want to jump in and help help? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. So I think the best way to do it is to donate. So a lot of our food 
comes from donation partners already. So we don't necessarily always need donation of food, but you may want to consider donating monthly or donating a one-time donation and signifying, hey, I want this to go to the food pantry. And that's a great way to do that. But also volunteering, like you said, come join us, come volunteer, come help the clients walk through the pantry, be their shopping cart as you hold their box and really be a part of it. And both of those things, donations and volunteer time can be found on goaffirmations.org under, I think, support and then get involved. Amazing. you You do so much for the community. I love what you're doing. It's so huge. And it's so many things we don't think about. And I just love this. Now, Nathan, as we wrap this up, what advice do you have for listeners? Yeah. In addition to my, not the front door, but side door or window, I always like to say networking, 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 because a lot of times it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And I think that cliche is so true. And making those community partners or across the internet, if you work remotely. So join your networking groups, go out and meet people. Uh, You never know who you're going to meet and who that person's going to be connected to. I couldn't have said it better myself, but (laughs) you are incredible. This has been loads of fun, which I knew it was going to be. For those of you listening, if you want to get more involved, see all the amazing, incredible things Nathan's doing, head to the show notes and tune in again next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, The Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at The Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.